right. Well, I do want to want to send a uh, a special welcome if you haven't had a chance to meet them. Uh, we have a sister that's visiting in town from uh, Minneapolis, Wendy, who is here. She was the one that uh, that Bill was praying about in the welcome. That she's been in town from Minneapolis because her dad has been going through surgery for uh, for cancer at Loma Linda. But if you get a chance to meet her, please make sure to say hi. Be praying for her and her family. And then we have uh, we have Mac and Zoe Strong in town from Washington. Uh, visiting for their anniversary. He's the really small guy up here in the third, in the third row. Um, but yeah, make sure to come up and say hi to them. Uh, and I definitely want to, want to send out just a special good afternoon to those that are at home. I know we do have a number of people that are homesick. My sister-in-law is homesick and watching in the live stream. Uh, so once again, you guys are the survivors. You've made it. Uh, and, because of how crazy things have been, I felt like I had to say something about the coronavirus stuff because it's just gotten a little out of hand. All right. And this isn't far off of what I saw at Costco this week. Uh, on Monday, my wife and I went to Costco at like 10 a.m., but we went to the Monterey one and that was a mistake. It was so full and there were people loaded up with toilet paper, paper towels, water bottles. It was crazy. wearing masks and, and stuff. And, and uh, when, we, when the lady boxing us up was, uh, was checking us out, she said, uh, said man, I, you don't know how nice it is that you just have groceries. <laughs> like, I've not seen this most of the day. Uh, at Starbucks this morning, I went to Starbucks and uh, um, I, I went to go, you know, pour my milk into my coffee and the milk was gone. And so I went to ask her for it. It's like, oh, yeah, uh, we, we have to pour it for you today. Like, Okay, so I can't be entrusted to pour my own milk because of people's hysteria. So I had to keep asking them to pour me milk. And they said, well, where are the stirrers? Oh, we, we have those, too. We have to personally, like, through, like, glass, try to, like, hand them to you. Um, people are getting crazy about this stuff right now. I actually found out that, you know, the, I don't know if you saw it, but if you're going to the 2020 conference, they released a statement to be praying for it because they've had people kind of freaking out and pulling out of going to the conference uh, in Orlando this summer, which, by the way, if you haven't bought your plane tickets yet, they're like a buck, $150 cheaper right now. So maybe the coronavirus is God's way of saying, here, discount to Orlando. Um, yeah, but I will say, if you've had the flu this season, that's probably worse than anything that you would get with the coronavirus. Um, so you're we're probably going to be okay. If you if you've been feeling a little nervous about it and stuff, don't want you to feel weird or singled out by me. But uh, but I, I think we're going to be okay, guys. There's, there's been there's been a lot of things. I want to encourage us to be praying and let's not buy into the sensationalism a little bit. You know, I saw a brother posted this this scripture. I thought it was very appropriate. God was helping us to get ready for the coronavirus. Come near to God and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Just, let's, just, let's just follow the Bible, and I think we're going to be okay. I will say, though, since my son was born in, in December, we've had seven cases of strep. We've had, my son got staph infection. He got RSV, staph infection, and strep all at the same time at one point. Uh, we've had two bacterial infections and two viral infections in my family. Coronavirus ain't got nothing on the Rock family. All right, I'm not scared at the least. But if we do get coronavirus, I can tell you the exact moment that it happened. Yesterday, I took my daughters to Walmart, and I'm doing the, you know, we're normally, we're not freaking out about this stuff. We normally do the, you know, cleaning your hands and the cart and all that different stuff. 
And I'm there with my daughters. I'm looking off to the side and I turn and my two-year-old's on the back of the cart with her mouth on the cart. And I thought to myself, no matter what I do, I'm not going to be able to prevent that. So we get coronavirus. That's when it happened. Okay. A shopping cart at Walmart for sure. Okay. On to spiritual things, you heathens. Okay. So we've been doing a great series in our church that's wrapping up today called Simplify. And the point of this series has been for us to focus on the things in our life that if we're disciples of Jesus, the simple way to look at our lives is Jesus has to be in and over every important aspect of our life. Amen. So we've talked about the, we went and talked about the greatest commandments first, the loving him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Uh, then we moved on to, to loving him or, or, or bringing Jesus with us to work last week is what we talked about. And, uh, and then before that, uh, what our homes need to be like. Jesus needs to be king of our homes. And to, uh, today, what we're actually going to cover, well, I'll get to that here in a minute. But once the series is over, we're actually going to be moving on after the park service to a new series to get ready for Easter that I'm really excited about. It's called The Rescue Story. And what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on some of the characters surrounding the cross that, that Jesus was involved with in the, in the, the crucifixion story. And we're going to end it, uh, obviously, with Easter at the rescue mission. So that's going to be really special. And then after Easter, we're going to do a series called Visionaries out of the book of Acts, uh, talking about how, really, the Holy Spirit is what gives us vision. And if you've never heard this before, the book of Acts, there's one hero in the book of Acts, and it's not the apostles. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led the disciples to do some incredible things. And so we want to talk about vision from the Holy Spirit. But today, what we're going to talk about is very simple. It's called Simple Church. Amen. You know, we have a lot, a lot of ideas of what we think church should be. Last year, I know a lot of people were discussing it. We, our, our, uh, our reality thing that we did at Reality 19 in L.A. last year was all about church. Uh, Francis Chan wrote a new book about it. Uh, last year, to basically kind of, maybe we're doing church wrong. Maybe we just need to stop going to buildings. We need to do it in our homes or in the community and stuff. That, and really, the reality is this, is this has always kind of been a discussion. But I feel like it, there's been parts of it that have been a little bit more on our minds over the last year, probably. Um, you know, but we have a lot of ideas. From the music we sing, the programs we offer, the length of the service. Some of you think it's too short. Some of you guys, the really spiritual ones, man, you just... Three hours and you're good. And like that would be perfect church service. Um, the kind of sermons we preach, the kind of building or location that we should meet in. Uh, or better yet, maybe the kind of experience that church should be. That's a big one, right? The, the emotions that we want to feel throughout the service. I was at a, a, a planning time in October when we were getting ready for, or we were talking about the youth and family track of the conference. And, and a brother was sharing about, about one of the evening sessions. He's like, Man, I wanna, I wanna feel, I wanna, I wanna laugh. I wanna cry. I wanna be convicted. I want the full spectrum of human emotion in one sermon. This is why I'm worried that I might have a heart condition later, because there's too much pressure on me to preach that kind of a sermon. We wanna feel all the emotions at the same time in church. Right? And the root, and the truth is, I think we get stuck in our notion of what church should be. And what then it becomes is it often becomes about us. And, and church becomes a place to take rather than to give. Amen. Yeah. But a better question would be, what does God want church to be? 
What does God want our experience in church to be like? You know, I've got a couple of things I was going to bring up here on the front end. Uh, you know, outside of clear doctrine of who, who's saved, who's not, who's a disciple, the Bible being true, we've got to live by the Bible, amen? And I thought about, does, does God care about the size? Does, does God care for a mega church that's packing it out with thousands of people? Not really, because Jesus said it, where two or more gathered in my name, there I'll be. So it's not the size God cares about. Is it the building? Nope. The disciples met in people's homes. They met in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. They met in all kinds of different places throughout the Gospels and Book of Acts. Is it the length of the service? For those of you guys that are really big onto the hour and a half or one hour, you know, just buckle in. We're going to be in for a nice long sermon today. Uh, I'm totally kidding. But I did think about... I did think about the Old Testament. You know, Ezra, when he read the book of the law after they built the wall in Nehemiah, it says that they stood up during service. God forbid we don't have pews. They stood up from early morning until noon. That was the sermon. In the book of Acts, Paul preached the sermon at night until someone fell asleep in a window and died. So I don't want to hear you complain once about how long I preach. Does God care about the music and the experience? That's a good question. I mean, does he care about the music? Yeah. Actually, over and over again throughout the Bible, he talks about singing and how important, you know, the Psalms, the largest book of the Bible is a, is a music book. So music is important to God, but is it, does he care about what kind of music? Does he care if it's a band or a cappella? Does he, does he care if it's, if it's the, your favorite songs or not? I, I have a scripture from the Old Testament I want to show you here in Amos 5. This is a really convicting one. I think about this a lot as a worship leader. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. It's a good start. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. So does God care about the music? Yeah. But no. Because we could, we could have the greatest band, the greatest singers, the, the, the service could be an experience with lights and, and all your favorite songs, and God's up in heaven going, I don't want to hear this noise. Because it's not about me. You know, is it about duty? Does God care about the duty, about, about you showing up? Yes and no. You know, in Revelation 2, when God is sending out, when, when Jesus is sending out a warning to the letters, or warning letters to the churches there, he writes specifically to the church in Ephesus that we're going to read about today. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. They were doing all the right things. right? They, they dealt with false doctrine. They were doing the right stuff. They are being good disciples. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love that you had at first. Now, all these things are good. All these things are a part of church. But you can have all those things lined up and God's not there. Jesus is missing from it. And so this is a great question for us to consider. So today we're going to dive into this in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to say a word of prayer and then let's get into it, okay? God, I do want to just thank you so much for the opportunity to sit at your feet, to have the word be preached here to us. God, please speak through me, Holy Spirit. Say exactly what you want shared to the church today. 
Uh, and, I, and I pray, God, that you help to open our hearts and our minds to what you have in store for us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I'm actually going to be reading from the ESV version. It changes this up. I know this is a familiar passage to a lot of us. Um, but the kind of the context of what we're about to read here is, is that Paul had just gotten done kind of saying, like, look, you've got to make every effort to be united. We've got to be in this together. There's the whole, the whole scripture that so many of us know about. about you've got to be so in one that there's, it's like one spirit, one church, one family, like that kind of stuff. That Paul is trying to get the church in Ephesus who we just heard was warned in Revelation that they need to be together in a unified way. And he dives into some church things in this that we want to, uh, that we want to look at. All right. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or the other version, the other versions of that is to mature adulthood to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer, there we go, so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All right, I know that was a lot. We're going to get into this here. I'm actually going to do a three-point three sermon today, and I don't really like doing these, but it works great for this, all right? Point number one of this, equipped. So the first thing to note from this passage is it says that God, out of his grace, his favor, his love given to all of us, gave you something to give. All of us, something to give, to use and to contribute towards his church. You have something to give, church. All of us here, if you're a disciple of Jesus sitting in this room, God gave you something that he wants you to give in his church. We've talked about this a lot. You know, and in the fall, we're actually going to spend some extensive time uh, and energy focusing on this. But if we look at this in a simple way, God's plan for his church was that everyone would contribute towards our common goal of being like Christ and reaching the world. You know, the body analogy, as it shows up so many times in the New Testament, you think about, in order to walk and move your body, you've probably not even really thought about this because it just happens automatically, but the amount of muscles and bones and tendons and ligaments, the things that go into just walking and moving, It means that the pieces have to be working together in unity in order for the church to move. And and in that same way, God says, man, I want my church to move, but it means everybody's got to chip in to make it happen. You know, this is something I get to witness with my two-month-old. As he's learning to just sit up straight and hold his neck up, he looks really good, and then he just rubbernecks, and he just (laughs) kind of falls over. And until you're, like, watching something like that, you you forget, like, oh, yeah, this takes a lot of muscles, to make happen, and they don't just come out of the womb ready for this. 
You know, but Paul gets into this in a specific way by addressing the roles of church leadership. And we have been talking about this a lot with our staff and our core groups in all three of our churches in the Inland Empire. And really, how we need to view and function as a church, specifically as it pertains to leadership. You know, I started studying through Paul's training letters again at the end of the year, just going through First and Second Timothy and Titus. And specifically, what I was kind of looking for as I was doing that was I was wanting to study out my role as an evangelist. What does the Bible say I am supposed to do as an evangelist, and am I giving my best effort towards doing that? And I've done a lot of Bible study since then. I've read several books. I've read a lot of articles. I've listened to lectures. Just about, because it kind of expanded. It went from the little bit of scripture that's about evangelists to what church leadership, what did God intend for this? And we've had a lot of discussions about this already with, uh, with our staff leadership, but also with our, with our core group, like I said. And what it's kind of revealed to me, what it's made me think is that some of our thinking about church leadership is, is wrong and kind of backwards. Not in an overall way or our church has just been in so much sin and we're just not doing this right. But we need to change our thinking a bit. Like, like this. If I ask the majority of you who leads the church, in whatever way, it would probably end up coming around to us and the Sweeneys. The paid staff. Right? The paid staff. You know, any church you've been in, you go, okay, who leads the church? The paid staff. And this is how, as a, I think as a movement, but just in general, as, as members of a church, we've operated and functioned in large part. But there's some problems with that, because when that's who leads the church, a, a number of things happen. First of all, you get the 80-20 rule. It's a rule of business we've talked about many times in the church, right? 80% of the work is only done by 20% of the people. That magnifies in a special way when it's just on the, the staff, the paid staff leadership to decide the direction of the church. And all the focus then becomes on too few of people. So then part of what happens is that people come to church, you guys come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays, and you're here to watch the ministers minister. We're here to do the work. And you guys just get to kind of sit front row and watch it. But then also, a lot of pressure starts to get put on just a handful of people. It creates burnout. It creates, it creates a, a, a solidarity or, or a mindset sometimes even in the leaders that feel like it's all on me to figure this out. And when I read a passage like this, like we just read, what it says to me is God never set up the leadership of his church to be behind a paywall. He lays out the main leadership roles here, but he doesn't indicate who's got the money. Matter of fact, what we see in the Bible is that these roles can be paid or not. The leadership of a church is not just supposed to be about the handful of people that we can afford to pay. You know, we have examples of Paul as an evangelist. There was a time in his life where he was a tent maker on top of being an evangelist. That in order to not ask something of the church that he was in because of how, how poor it was, he went out and had a job on top of being an evangelist. You know, we see scriptures where it talks about uh, where Paul addresses certain types of, or Peter addresses certain types of elders. He says, there are elders that we need to pay because they're, they're doing a lot of the work. They're preaching, so they do need to get paid. But the suggestion then is a lot of them weren't. So what I read is that what God wants is the church to be led by a team of people who have different leadership gifts 
who helps share the load and help the church move forward together. That's what it's supposed to be. And so part of what that means is that we have to tear down our immature views of our contributions to the church. Not financially, but what we have to offer and how we serve it. You know, as we even consider what these leadership roles are to the church, we have to note what Paul even says in this scripture, the responsibilities of those roles are. These leadership positions, specifically as it says here in verse 12, is he gave the apostles, prophets, and evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It says that the leaders in God's church, my job, no matter what it is, paid or not, is to equip you for the ministry. I'm not the only one that works in the ministry. I'm just paid to be in the ministry. You guys are in the ministry too. The Bible just said that all of us in the room who are disciples of Jesus, we're all in the ministry together. It's not just the ministers or the evangelists. We've got to work together. So that means that Sundays and Wednesdays, they're a unique chance for all of us to serve in the ministry together, to actually chip into not just the Sunday service, but also another function of these meetings of the body is to equip you to work the ministry in your lives wherever you go the rest of the week. Wherever you go the rest of the week, you're in the ministry. If it's work, that's your ministry. If it's school, that's your ministry. If it's home, maybe, that's your ministry still. You are ministers. But I want us to consider for a moment, though, what would change and how we come to church or go about our week if we adopted this kind of thinking. How would we approach coming to church on a Sunday? When we show up? How long we stay after? You know, whether or not we just come to participate or, or we come to serve and give. You know, as I was studying out these roles more specifically, the Bible's got a lot to say about it in First and Second Timothy and Titus. But it says these three roles, the primary responsibilities there are lead the church, teach and preach the word, protect from false teachers and false doctrine, to call higher and challenge the saints in sound doctrine, to visit the sick and pray, to pray for the group as a whole, and to judge doctrinal issues. You know what the Bible doesn't say? Is that what these roles are responsible for is being a disciple, making disciples, leading small groups, serving the poor, leading kingdom kids, running the worship, Loving people like Jesus, encouraging one another, and the list goes on and on. It doesn't say that that's our role. Do you know why? Because those are things that the whole church are responsible for. Because that's our role as a church. And we naturally want to prescribe these things mainly to the paid ministers. And this is a different way of thinking. You know, Steve Lazarus used to say, you used to say the best analogy for a church outside of a body is thinking that we're all on a ship. But we're all crew, none of us are passengers. So grab a shovel, grab an oar, whatever it is, we're all in this together to be crew to make this ship go forward. And this is against our human nature. Oh, I just want to participate so bad. Just sit. The, the amount of Sundays where I just get to sit and just sing and just be a disciple in the pews, they're so few and far between and I love it. Because that's my human nature. You know, I want you to think about the example of paying for a personal trainer. 
those of us that have done it before. You know, imagine paying for a personal trainer. You find out, okay, it's $100 an hour. You go, great, cool. Show up, I need, I need to get healthy and try to lose some weight, try to get my, my, my cardiovascular system in where it should be. And you go and, you, and your session starts and you go, okay, I'm going to sit here and pay you to run on the treadmill for me. And you're just, you're just watching this guy, this girl, just, just cooking, getting a good sweat going, a solid half hour, can't breathe. They're just doing it, doing it. And then a week later, you go back, and you're like, wait, I haven't lost any weight. What's going on? I paid you the money. I paid. Well, okay, we'll, we'll try it again. We'll try it again. We'll, we'll come back in there. This time I want you to lift the weights for me. So you just watch them. They're getting it. They're deadlifting. They're swat racks. They're, just, they're getting all the weights. And then a, a week later, again, like, I'm gaining weight. But this doesn't make any sense. I paid you. You're, you're so... I'm supposed to be you know, doing better. But in the church, that's how sometimes we can think. You can look at the paid staff and go, I paid you. Make me more spiritual. I paid you. Preach a better sermon. Get on it. Daddy needs some Bible. And whether we realize it or not, sometimes that's what happens. We kind of become the, like, like you fix me. You solve me. You do, and maybe not just the paid staff, but maybe the rest of the church. But the truth is, I can't be righteous for you. Amen. I can't read your Bible for you. I can't get open for you. I can't share your faith for you. I can't pray your prayers. I can't give your talents. I can't give your money. I can't love people for you. If you're struggling spiritually, maybe you've even been battling with attitudes about the church as a whole or people in it. If Sundays are a challenge, if you find yourself just kind of dragging in here sometimes, you might be sitting on the sidelines watching somebody else do the work for you. You know, the truth is, the bitter people are usually not the ones that are serving and using their gifts. The bitter people are the ones that are sitting on the sidelines. You know, just show this last real quick in Acts 6. The setup of, of the story here is that the, uh, is the church has just gotten started after Acts 2. There's thousands of people. and There's a bunch of widows that need help, the Grecian widows. And so they go to the, the, the 12 apostles and say, hey, guys, we've got a problem. We need your help. It says the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. So I want you to think about that for a second. Imagine if Scott or I, you know, we say, all right, we're looking for volunteers to help serve at Women's Day. And we go, you know, it wouldn't be right for me to wait on tables. Imagine if you ever heard an evangelist say that. You'd be like, who the heck do you think you are? And I've struggled with this passage on so many different levels over the years. And it's not that he's not saying we're too good to serve tables. He's saying that that's not my role primarily. What God has me to do is something that only we can do right now. We all have to pitch in and serve and step up. We've got so many great men and women in the church who do this. 
from our, our family group leaders. And we've got some new ones that have even stepped up recently. They saw the needs in the church and they said, man, here am I, send me. I'm going to step up and help. Our core group leaders who, who help us with making decisions and thinking through things in the church. But not only that, a lot of them do many other jobs inside the church on top of leading a family group. We've got incredible men and women from the worship leaders and everybody else that serves. So I don't want to just feel like I'm just bashing the church and saying nobody does this. But if we're struggling with this, we probably need to evaluate it. All right, moving quickly here. Verse number two, mature. Verse 13 and 14 says again, until we all attain unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, or like I said, it's adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. What Paul is saying here is that we are all supposed to contribute, right? As we talked about. We're all supposed to, to pitch in together. And as we do, he says that the body grows up, the church grows up and matures to be more like Christ. When the Bible talks about maturity in the New Testament, it means like Christ. It means perfect. Matter of fact, in, in Matthew, Jesus brings this up and says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That we want to mistake, we don't want to mistake this, that Jesus isn't saying you're, like, we're supposed to arrive and achieve perfection here on earth. You won't. But that's still what we're moving towards. We're moving towards Christ. But maturity is a process that we must own and engage in. You could be a disciple for years and stuck in spiritual infancy. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in 1 Corinthians uh, 2, it says, it says specifically, it says, look, all right, I'm just going to read the beginning. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as by people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. This concept shows, shows up a couple times in the New Testament. And Paul's suggestion here is, I don't care if you've been a disciple for decades. You could still be acting like a child. We've all met those people. I'm a millennial. You know who gets a lot of, a lot of flack from baby boomers? Millennials. Because <laughs> they go, man, you're in your 30s and you're still acting like a child. But what he's talking about here is, he says, look, there are things in life that God wants us to move past spiritually. It's time to give up the bottle and start eating some real food. So think about, man, coming to church, and whether or not it's, it's important for you to be here, that's milk. Shouldn't have to preach on that anymore. Giving your money to God, that's milk. That's not an issue we should have to preach on. Being in one another relationships, that's milk. Reading your Bible and praying, that's even, that's even, that's milk, that's the milk of the milk. You know, if your time with God is immature, if you're stuck reading the verse of the day, if you have a hard time forgiving and asking, God, asking others for forgiveness, if you, have asked to, if you have to be asked about your giving to God or whether or not you're serving, if you don't pursue discipling or advice, if you have to be pursued, if you dig trenches over worldly things like politics and who's a Republican and who's a Democrat and who's voting for Trump or not, if you are thrown easily by doctrinal issues or life circumstances, 
I hate to, ta- hate to tell you here, but you're probably still an infant. You're being too easily swayed by things that are not God. You know, the, the picture in Ephesians 4 is he says, infants, they're tossed back and forth. Now, you look at my, my newborn son, that's, that's very clear to see. But the idea is that, man, anything in life shakes you up. You know, you can't teach the Bible to somebody else because you don't study it. Those are, that's spiritual infancy, guys. You know, I think Paul's trying to get us to see. He says, look, we have to grow up and eat a steak. It's time to move on. Stop drinking the bottle. And if, you don't, if you're a vegan, I'm not singling you out. Eat an Impossible Burger. Just, we got to move on. Move on from immaturity. That's something that we got to decide, though. we got to own. God wants his church to be maturing and growing in ways that make it a force to be reckoned with. The Bible talks about the, the, the kingdom is supposed to come with power. Not a bunch of mealy-mouthed Christians that can't figure out how to have a quiet time. We have so many mature disciples in this church, though. So many incredible men and women that have been through the battle. They're great teachers. They love God. They've walked through the fire. And I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with this, if you're, if you're not sure where you're at in your maturity spiritually, attach yourself to one of these men and women. Not in a fix-it-for-me way, but in a personal trainer way. Teach me so I can do it myself and grow up in my faith. And let me just, add, just say, if you aren't sure if you're mature spiritually, just ask somebody that's close to you that is mature. And then, yeah, a bunch of immature, you know, you can ask a bunch of teenagers to ask themselves if they're mature, they might say yes. Okay? Last but not least, point number three is joined. You still with me? All right. Got quiet. I know I'm saying some heavy things, but it's out of love, okay? All right, verse 15, the last part of this, says, From whom the whole body and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Reading this in the EI, ESV, EIV, the ESV has actually been a really cool experience looking at this. But, but I love the wording here in this. Because, you know, for all of us that are, that are in the IV, it says as each part does its work, right? That, that, that we all chip in. Bless you. Coronavirus. Coronavirus. <laughs> We'll rub you down with hand sanitizer before you leave. All right. Um, God has equipped us in the church with joints, is what it says. Every joint with which is it equipped. So you have a joint on you. Okay, just like a human body. What he's saying is he has given us relationships in the church that attach us to the greater body as a whole. And there's a joining force that holds us together, as he says, and that force is love. Paul says we're supposed to speak the truth to each other with it. He says we're supposed to be built up in it. Jesus told us that the defining quality of disciples out in the world is going to be love. But there's a part of this, though, the the idea of discipling relationships you know, it's a term that, are, that our, our churches use. It's not a biblical term. The Bible never says, make sure you have a discipler. Discipling relationships are something we kind of came up with. But the concept 
is so rich in the Bible. It's not a church-ordained thing. It's not a, it's, it's not a leadership thing that we set up just for accountability or some mode of control. I know sometimes that's, depending on how old as a Christian you are, you can, think, you can get stuck in that kind of thinking. But it is a biblical concept that God set up for us, as he says here, to be connected to Jesus. You know, going back to that body analogy, joints are there to help the rest of the parts of the body do their job. Like, they don't move on their own. They're, they're connectors. You know, in college, and I've shown this before, I was an exercise science major in college, and we were taught to do, when you do evaluations of people and you ask them about their medical history and if they have any injuries you need to be aware of, that you can't just say, do you have any injuries? Because you go, I mean, kind of, yeah. But you have to you say, like, do you have any, like, shoulder problems? Do you have any, like, back issues? Like, you kind of have to, like, move in front of them because you go, like, yeah, I do, wait, I do have a shoulder problem. You're right, when I do this, it doesn't feel good. And oftentimes, we don't, sometimes we don't even think about the reality of where our relationships are at. But our relationships in the body are there to help us do our job. That's what this says. It says, every joint with which is equipped, when each part is doing its work. So my relationship with you as a friend, as a brother, is to help you do your work in God's church. And when we all do our job and are working properly, the church gets moving. Sometimes it moves fast. Sometimes it just moves strong. So it moves. We need these relationships. And we spent most of the fall talking about this. So I'm not going to beat a dead horse with it. But in the fall, we went through that whole series, seven relationships that help you get to heaven. That our relationships in this room matter. And I want to say another thing too. You matter. You being here in church, it matters. I think I've shared that analogy before of a, of a, of a jigsaw puzzle. Right, that when you first dump out the pieces on the, on the table, you don't really notice the individual pieces, but then when you start putting them together, you notice when there's one missing. Right? And it gives you a headache until you find it. You know, that we matter to God's church. You know, the people that are missing, we can even see some of the holes in here, and I know some people are out of town, some people are sick. I, I see it! Nobody sits in the front row besides us and the Sweeney's, basically. So it's, it's obvious the Sweeney's aren't here. They're at our sister church in Rancho, by the way. They're, doing, they're, they're helping them with their, uh, uh, their leadership program. Um, and you know, one of the things I love as a disciple and as a minister, as an evangelist, is I love hearing about the stories of the relationships in this room. When people share about the years that they've been in a friendship or in a, in a struggle, in a battle with somebody in this room. To help through hard times in life when maybe you were just being stubborn and prideful and somebody just rebuked you out of love. And, you know, I love hearing stories like that because it illustrates what God has set up. I need you. You help to connect me to Jesus. And that's part of the concept that when people are at church, when people come to visit church, that they see Jesus because we're, we're connecting each other to Jesus. You know, again, if church has been a drag for you, or maybe you've been struggling with being critical or unmotivated, you know, and I'm just going to tell you guys, I'm a minister, I'm a preacher, sometimes I hate coming to church. I would like to tell you I'm more spiritual than that, but there are times when it's just tough. 
feel mentally, emotionally exhausted. Or I've, got, I've already got a bad attitude about who I might see at church. Or, you know, I was a bad attitude about something else going on in life. And I don't want to be around everybody and spread my bad attitude. Or, or you know, I don't know if they're going to sing the songs I like. And, you know, <laughs> you know minister to me, sermon. I struggle with that a lot more than you might realize. I'm in the fight with you guys. But the truth of the matter is that we have to do some heart check in this. That if, that if, if, we're, struggling, if we're struggling with that kind of attitude and mentality, that, that means Jesus is missing somewhere. And I think there's some questions I want to encourage us to ask ourselves. Have I been coming to church to give or to be given to? Am I using the grace of God to serve with my gifts? The Bible says it says that when you serve, it's because God's given you grace and something to use. How are my joints? Am I investing in my relationships that help me to be righteous? Or maybe better yet, have I been immature spiritually? And I need to grow up a little bit. And those are questions that I have to ask myself as a minister, as a paid leader of this church. So it doesn't stop wherever you are. It doesn't stop how many years you've been a Christian. It doesn't, it, it doesn't get better when, when Easter's going on and we've got a great lineup and we've got all these awesome things going on and then a week later when we're kind of just chilling out a little bit. You know, if we're giving what we have, if we're loving each other with the truth, what the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4 there says, then Jesus will be at the head of the church. Jesus will be present. And if Jesus is at the head of our group, that means what people experience here at church will have very little to do with the sermon. Very little to do with the music. Which are a premium in our Christian world. If Jesus is at the head of our group, if we're all giving into giving giving into his church, then they will see a greater picture of Jesus. Amen. That's what they'll experience when they walk in the door. So a simple church with Jesus at the head of it means we're all in this together. Amen. Amen. I love you guys.